Are you recording now? Recording. <laughs> this is gonna sound weird. Things are about to get weird. Just get to the murder. Hello, welcome back. Welcome back to this podcast called This Is Gonna You're Sound not Weird. You're, <laughs> You're not Am I not matching? You're just not matching my enthusiasm. Okay, okay, hold on. No, you're not matching. Welcome back uh, to this podcast called This Is Gonna Sound Weird, and I am one of your hosts, Taylor Moore. Take it away, Sydney. <laughs> and I <laughs> and I am your, your other host, Sydney. A Sutton, to be specific, uh, and each week on this podcast, we tackle everything true crime, paranormal, and everything in between with a different theme each week. What's our theme this week, Taylor? This week's, you know? yes, I do know. This week's theme's singular theme is the Warrens. Um, and if you don't know who the Warrens are, I'll give you a little rundown just real quick, unless Sydney has that in her, do you have that in your notes? I mean, I have it in my brain. Yeah. Because I am a professional podcaster. I do, too. Uh, I just wanted to say that if you don't know who the Bournes are, they were paranormal investigators um, back in the day. Um, Ed is Ed and Lorraine. Lorraine was a clairvoyant um, and a medium, and she worked with her husband, Ed. He was a self-taught and self-professed demonologist, author, and lecturer. Basically, people would call them if they needed help to get their house, get the demons out. And they also were really big in, like, the lecture circuit in colleges. Um, I feel like one day we could do, like, the, you know, maybe do a history of them because there's lots to them because they're actually quite controversial, which I do know. But their cases are still interesting. Uh, so, anyways. Yeah, and I mean, they pretty, I mean, they tackled so many iconic uh-huh. cases the, even if you think they are full of shit, I think it's still fun to talk about. I do too. Um, I have a scalding hot update for you. So, oh. so over the weekend. <laughs> do do, uh, do well, tell. Well, not that scalding. But over the weekend, I got a text message from a friend. I'm going to keep it slightly vague. Uh, she said, hey, or she said, bro, did your dog get kidnapped? And I was like, no, he's standing right in front of me. And so she was like, I saw a family member of yours post on Facebook. And I was like, what? So I went to Facebook. Uh, a family member posted that a dog in my family uh, had been taken off of our porch. <laughs> he is a little tiny white dog who's like 14 years old. Uh, a lady came and took him. Uh, we got the footage on a ring camera. Um so we found out who the person was there, you know, like a Facebook, like group, like a community group. So my family went to the door and was like, hey, give me back our dog. Why did you steal my dog? I saw you steal my dog. Uh, well, the lady went again on Facebook and was like, she was posting in the community group and was like, I did not steal him. He was almost in the road. So I picked him up. I rang the doorbell and he didn't answer the doorbell. Um, but we were like, he's like 14 and he can't make it to the road. Like he can't walk to the road physically. Um, so, uh, my family called bullshit on that. Uh, apparently the lady had many dogs in her home, but yeah, my dog got dog napped this weekend. Uh, so... But he's back safe and sound now. <laughs> now, who... Whose dog? Your mom's or your dad's? Or your grandparents? Oh, it was my dad's dog. That's what I thought. I thought it had to have been your dad's. Um, and the reason I know this, and I'm sorry to have to inform Stop some it. of the viewers, that um, we, we've we experienced some losses via dogs. Uh, Taylor's... Uh, Taylor's mom has lost not one but two dogs this year. One of them was a little shit, uh, R.I.P. Otto. I think we've talked about him before. Um, But we did not mention the lovely, sweetest boy in the world, Deacon, also passed recently. He was the best boy ever. I'll put a picture of him on the pod because he deserves a shout out. Give some love to our boy Deacon. Anyways, but... You know what? If If you drinking this weekend... Feel free to pour one out for him. He was the goodest boy. Um, also, if you want to pour one out, I also <laughs> experienced a, a loss. Uh, my childhood dog, Dusty, 
has entered the pearly gates of doggy heaven. Uh, you could also feel free to pour one out. He was a good boy. He had hey, anxiety. I like Dusty. I like rescued myself. him that one day from barking at the door, and he slept with me on my very tall bed, and I was scared that I was going to accidentally kick his little tiny body off, and he was going to break a leg. Fair enough. He was, you know, yeah. only like six pounds, uh, and he was he had gone partially blind, but not fully blind, and so sometimes when you would leave, um, he would be confused, and he would just bark at things, you know, but he was yeah. a good boy. Dusty, if you're listening DK, to this, we miss you. We miss you. Otto, if you're listening, uh, I miss you too. Hey, hey, hey. how are you? <laughs> uh, but yeah. <laughs> All right. That was, was that a bummer? I don't know. Was that, did that bring, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to shift over from <clears throat> dead dogs to homicide, which is the topic of my story this week. Um, I will be talking about... The trial of Artie Johnson. Ever heard mm. of him? I have heard, but I don't know if I really know the story. Or All right, well, I'm a. Don't even worry about it because I'm about to tell you the story. Because that's how a podcast. That's how the podcast works. Oh, All right. My sources, so I don't get sued. Ctpost.com, the archives of Virginia law, like. Literally, if you are looking at, like, law archives for the state of Virginia, it will be there. Uh, Wikipedia, inside the Arnie Johnson murder case from allthatsinteresting.com. So, it all begins many moons ago. Arnie Johnson was a typical teenager. However, that all changed on February 16th, 1981. When an argument broke out between Arnie and his landlord, Alan Bono, in which Arnie took out a pocket knife and stabbed Bono nearly 20 times in the chest and stomach, killing him. When police arrested Johnson, it was said that the two men had simply been fighting over Johnson's fiance, Debbie. And police from this pretty much believed it would be a fairly simple case, you know, pretty open and shut. However, after his arrest, Johnson claimed that the devil made him do it, making the case far more interesting. So, Johnson's attorney, Martin Manila, stated in court, the courts have dealt with the existence of God. Now they're going to have to deal with the existence of the devil. Uh Now there's your tagline. There you go. Hell yeah. So, in Johnson's defense, he claimed that the source of all his suffering started several months before the murder when he cleaned up a rental property that he and his fiance had acquired. The 11-year-old brother of Johnson's fiance, Debbie, claimed that the uh, that he had repeatedly encountered an old man who would taunt him. And at first, you know, they didn't really think much of it. They thought David was just making sorry david is the little brother's name i didn't mention that but they thought david was just making this shit up they were like you're messing around you're trying to get out of chores saying that this old man is harassing you we don't see any old man however these encounters continued and became more frequent and even more violent so David would wake up screaming in the night and described a man with big black eyes, a thin face, and animal features, and jagged teeth, pointed ears, horns, and hooves. He claimed that the old man vowed to harm the Gletzels, so that was David and Debbie's family, if they moved into the rental home. The old man muttered Latin and threatened to steal his soul. Which... Listen, I'm no expert, but it sounds a little bit like demon activity. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, David began showing unexplained scratches and bruises all over his body, and his family was beginning to get concerned. So, they asked a local priest from a nearby church to bless their home, but the incidents continued. So, David would kick, bite, spit, and swear at his family and even experienced being strangled by invisible hands and being thrown around the room like a rag doll. Mm. So I envision 
like in the movie The Exorcist where she's just like levitating uh-huh. and, you know, just basically like being thrown around the room. With the family being out of options, they seeked help from self-proclaimed demonologist Ed and Lorraine Warren, who, as Taylor has explained, you know, Lorraine was specifically in touch with the spirit world, mm-hmm. uh, and then Ed just was very well versed in demonology. So, Lauren, sorry, Lorraine, not Lauren, Lorraine <laughs> alleged uh, allegedly witnessed a black mist that materialized next to David, which, as she claimed, was an indication of a malevolent presence. David would recite passages from the Bible, and as time went on, David's night terrors got worse, and, be- and he began to see an old man with a white beard dressed in a flannel t-shirt and jeans. Johnson stayed with Debbie's family to help as, you know, you would if you were engaged to a girl and her brothers, you know, became possessed by a demon. You might be like, hey, you need some help around the house? Can we make a casserole or something? <laughs> Your brother is possessed. <laughs> yeah, mm-mm. I couldn't. I couldn't live with a person who's possessed. I just couldn't. No, it couldn't be me. Absolutely not. One time in, like, high school, my stepbrother got a concussion at a football game, and I didn't know what a concussion do to people, and so I was like, what if he come in here? I, I, I was like, what if he gets confused in the middle of the night and thinks, you know, I'm the kid who hit him and gave him a concussion, and he tries to come beat my ass up. Like, I don't, understand, I don't know how this works, but I locked my door that night just in case. <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Because, listen, also between... Your one brother getting a concussion and your other brother sleepwalking, mm. I would have oh, just yeah. kept my door locked all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first time he sleepwalked, I told Mama, I looked at her, I said, he's got to get out of here. She was like, Taylor, he's five. I was like, I don't care. He got to go. <laughs> he got to go. He got to go. Him back. I, I literally told Mama that we should take him to my grandma's house, which was like right beside ours. And I was just going to leave him there. My grandma, she was a little... She was like a mountain witchy type, you know, real Christian, but like, you know, they used uh, them herbs and they used the Bible to do witchy stuff. And I was like, she'll figure it out. She'll know what to do. She will. She's going to just pray over him, probably <laughs> cover his body in vinegar or something. <laughs> yeah. And then he'll be good everything. to go. Vinegar. <laughs> if you live in the South, you know, vinegar fixes everything. It makes a hell of a barbecue sauce. You can use it as you know like a cleaner a fabric softener you know my grandma taylor's grandma tried to put it on her broken ankle yeah don't work for a broken ankle she said it worked for swelling she also says it works for sunburn so instead of aloe at my grandma's house you get covered in white vinegar (laughs) i've heard that i've heard that it gets rid of the sting i know that if you get stung by a jellyfish they will tell you to put vinegar on it and not pee on it Interesting. So, I think the more I you know, know. When I got stung by a jellyfish, I got sprayed by something at the lifeguard stand. I don't know what it was. It could have been a bottle of his own pee, for all I know. <laughs> he keeps that on standby. <laughs> <laughs> As David's condition continued, suspicious noises began coming from the home's attic. And the Warrens believed that this was clearly a case of demonic possession. They claimed that over the course of three exorcisms that David levitated, stopped breathing, and predicted the murder that Arnie Johnson would later commit. As time went on, Johnson started taunting the demonic presence, telling him to stop bothering David, saying, take me on, leave my little buddy alone. Johnson allegedly investigated a well in the same area where David claimed to experience his first encounter with the demonic presence. The Warrens warned Johnson not to go near the same well, but he did anyways. He claimed, once he walked up to this well, that he saw a demon hiding inside the well who possessed him until after the murder. Mm-hmm. Which, I'll, why would a demon just hang out in a well? He thirsty? Because it's scary as hell. You look down in there and you see two green demon eyes looking up at you. 
scary as fuck. You never think bad stuff always happens at a well. Always. I used to tan on top of our well house. You didn't yeah. learn anything from that little girl that fell down the well? Mm-mm. Mama told me not to get on the well house. Actually, all four of my brothers would get on top of the well house at once. She said not to because we might break it. We didn't care. We were ready to fall down that well. <laughs> I would hope that the well, like, inside still had a cover over it, but I really don't know how it worked. I didn't ever go inside. No, I don't know because I didn't grow up with well water. Mm. So. You're missing out. You grew up with that nasty beach water. Listen, listen. Beach water is good. It's, it's got a little something, something to it. It's got a little something to it. Rotten when egg. I went to college, when I went to college, <laughs> and I started drinking city water, I remember going like and specifically being like, the the water here tastes weird, and my hair was not used to being washed by city water. It was used to beach water, um, so it like my hair was doing weird things for like the first year of college. Yeah, I also don't like city water. I like well water, but, you know, I got city water now. I'm a city girl now. Wow. <laughs> Even though you live, like, 45 minutes outside of the nearest big city. And we just so happen to get that city water, so. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> Bill different. Days after the incident at the well, Johnson started to exhibit odd behavior similar to David's, and he would fall into a trance-like state where he would growl, but later have no memory of it. Which, honestly, maybe he was just zoning out. You ever get really tired and you just zone out? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I growl. You just, uh, you just I guess disassociate. if I zoned out, I wouldn't know. Yeah. Uh, my stomach might growl. I don't think I've ever growled. Finally, on the day of February 16th, Arnie joined Debbie, his fiance, and her boss and slash landlord, Alan Bono, at a local bar where they proceeded to drink heavily. Bono reportedly got very intoxicated and grabbed one of the girls that was in the group, because it was like a group of uh, Arnie, Debbie, and their friends. So he grabbed one of the girls named Mary and refused to let her go. So Johnson ordered Bono to let Mary go and began growling like an animal and then pulled out a pocket knife and stabbed Bono to death. Oh. Which this brings us to the murder trial. Johnson's mm-hmm. attorney, Martin Manila, tried to enter a plea of not guilty by reason of demonic possession. As which, as you, as you could imagine, this was the first time the courts had ever, you know, received a plea like this. Mm-hmm. However, the judge not surprisingly, rejected Martin's plea, stating that such a defense was impossible to prove. As the trial went on, Martin and the Warrens were mocked by their peers who believed they were profiting off the murder because there was a lot of media surrounding this story as the Warrens' agents promised a book and even a movie detailing the gruesome cases that were in the works. And they already had a decent amount of fame, I feel like, at this point, because mm-hmm. the Amityville horrors had taken place probably about four to five years before this, because this happened in the early 80s, and Amityville was, like, mid-70s. So, mm-hmm. and I feel like that is, like, the big case that I think of when I think of the Warrens. I know a lot of people think of, like, The Conjuring, but... I think of Amityville specifically. I didn't even realize that they were involved in the Amityville until, like, I didn't realize who they were until The Conjuring. Like, I knew Amityville, but they weren't featured. Were they featured in Amityville like they were in The Conjuring? No. In, if you've seen the movie Amityville, they are not in it. But I want to say in, like, one of the later Conjuring movies, like Conjuring 2 or something, there is a scene that kind of alludes to the Amityville. Mm. And truthfully, I feel like the reason that like they're not intertwined is probably because whoever makes Amityville and whoever makes The Conjuring probably don't have rights to the other story. But... Yeah. But yeah, I... I like, that's the case that I think of, I think, just because... When I first heard of Amityville, it scared the poo-poo out of me. Um, oh, yeah. Like, it, re- it really scared the shit out of me. But, yeah. I don't know. 
Well, that yeah, one really gets me. was scary when I was little. It was one of the movies where, like, the older kids would be watching it, and then you go watch it, and it was just so freaking scary. Uh, the worst part is when Ryan Reynolds kills the dog. And I still ain't forgive you, Ryan. The boat you do scene it? still scares me. Where he's, like, out at that little boat dock or whatever. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. The whole thing's scary. It was scary because it's like, oh my god, my dad could turn on me and try to kill me. <laughs> kill me right here in this boat. Yeah. And he killed my fucking dog. Yeah, that's bad. In addition to the Warrens, you know, causing this big media stir, Johnson's lawyer, Martin, also received calls from pretty much all over the world about what was being called the, quote, demon murder trial. And I, and I read a little bit about this, that his lawyer had, a, like, eventually planned on, like, speaking to priests in other countries and something about subpoenas and getting involved in other cases. But I, that, that was just too much for today. So, oh, and I don't think any, and basically nothing really came of it, but there was talk of shit popping off. Yeah, that's what I got for you. In court, Johnson's lawyer examined Bono's clothing and argued that the lack of any blood, rips, or tears supported the claim of demonic involvement. Which, in my opinion, like, what what is that? What do the lack of blood and tears got to do with whether a demon did or did not do it? Like, if anything, I feel like if a demon got you, you'd be pretty tore up. Your clothes would probably be ripped. Maybe it's because they're supernatural and they can, you know, mess you up and leave no trace. I guess, but, like, the man was also stabbed 20 times. Look, I couldn't say. I don't know how demons operate. Ain't never met one in person. Fair enough. Maybe one day. Just kidding. Don't come in here. I hope. I hope to not. (laughs) Um, Yeah, please do not. The court didn't go for the legal team's, you know, plea for it to be about demonic possession. I'm shocked. They had to... I know. (laughs) Would you think... Would you think that any judge with a law degree would be like, you know what? I'm gonna let them go with the the demonic possession plea. We'll see where that goes. No. They didn't go for that. So, the team kind of had to switch gears, and they switched to a self-defense plea, which then meant that the jury could not consider demonic possession when deliberating. But it's in your brain now. I know. I know. I love it when they when you like strike stuff, they'll like you know, they'll give this testimony and then they'll be they'll have to strike it and the judge will be like, "Don't consider that." And I'm like, I mean, you can say that, but like they already heard, like they heard it. That's all. It's already in my brain. Also, like at that point, like if they're like, "Hey, you can't consider like demonic possession when deliberating," then I'm like, "Well, then, do they have to forget that the Warrens were even in court? Like, what's the po- what's the point of them even being there then?" Probably. If the Warrens, like, testified or something, like, the judge can, or, like, a, one side can, like, make a motion to, like, strike something, and the judge can, like, accept it. I haven't taken evidence yet, but they don't have to forget that they're there, but they can't consider the fact that they were there. So it's kind of like a, it's like a technicality. <laughs> like, they were it. there. They, <laughs> they were there, and I know that they were there, but I don't remember anything that was said. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Johnson was convicted of first-degree manslaughter on November 24th, 1981, and was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison. However, he only ended up serving about five and was released in 1986. And he actually married his fiancée, Debbie, while he was still in prison. And as of 2014, when I, from the article that I read, they were, they're still together. So... I guess nothing bonds a couple like homicide and demonic possession. 
So, Debbie mean yeah, yeah. So maybe that's you and Brandon. You gonna have to commit a crime. Mm-mm. I can't. I can't do it. Can it be like running a stoplight? I might can uh, do that. I can do that for my man. You know, if he like, but really got a shit or something, and I gotta run this stoplight <laughs> to get him to the nearest food lion. <laughs> I'll do that. That that example seemed a bit too specific. Yeah. Uh, you know, it is a little specific, but I just picture you know it might actually be the other way around. He might have to run the stoplight because I gotta go shit. <laughs> uh, yes. It, so. You know what? It's a fifty-fifty shot. Either could happen. Just know either one of them willing to run a stoplight. Mm-hmm. And Debbie actually maintains that Arnie, you know, was possessed by this demon. And that his biggest mistake was challenging the, quote, beast that possessed David. The Warrens still, and, you know, claimed that the demons are what caused the murder. However, psychiatrists who... In- investigated the case after the fact claimed that David was just mentally disabled. Interesting. And the case has gone on to inspire the book The Devil in Connecticut, not to be confused with The Haunting in Connecticut, as well as the television movie The Demon Murder Case, as well as the film The Conjuring The Devil Made Me Do It, which actually was released earlier this summer because I googled it because in the article it was like, hey, this movie's about to come out. I was like, oh, I wonder when it came out. Um, And it came out in June of this year and I was like, well, I haven't heard literally nothing about this. I haven't either. But now I want to watch it. I don't say much because let's be honest, I don't see movie trailers anymore because like in my head, they have not made a movie since 2019. Like, movies are not being made. They are not being released. Because I've only been to the movies once in, like, the past two years because of COVID. So. Same. Also, I just didn't go to movies before that, so. Oh, I enjoy the movies. I do. I like to go there. I like to get a kid's popcorn. I get the kid's popcorn combo. It's, like, $5 and you get a soda and some popcorn. I like to sit there. Especially if you go to one with uh, reclining seats. Ooh, it's nice. Now I want to watch this. I might watch this this weekend. Brandon likes a good scary movie. I don't know if it's a good scary movie, but it's a scary movie. It's Conjuring. I feel like most of them have been decent. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I would be interested to see like how much of it is based off of more like the court case and how much is just more like spookiness. Because I think of what's it called, like the the exorcism of like Emily Rose. Mm-hmm. That's like that court case that, mostly. That yeah, that's mostly court case. So I would be interested to see how that compares. Also, because that film very scary. The Conjuring not as scary. I also want to watch. I never watched The Nun. I'd like to watch The Nun. I watched The Nun. It was all right. I enjoyed the fact that it's got a uh, what's her faces. So the I can't think of what her name is. People are screaming uh, it at home. But the woman that plays Lorraine, her real-life sister, who you may know as uh, yes. many characters from American Horror Story. I'm looking at them right now. The The Lorraine is Vera Farmiga? Farmiga? Mm-hmm. And her sister is Tysa? Tysa Farmiga? I think it's Tysa. Tysa. That, yeah, that makes more sense. But yes, I didn't know that those two were sisters. Interesting. You can tell when you look at their faces, yeah. though. Look, you've seen my nun slow globe, right? I have, yes, yes, yes. This is my it nun is. snow globe for the people at home. I have an old snow globe that I received when I was in high school. We were cleaning out um, the drama department. And my drama teacher saw the snow globe. And he was like, hey, does anybody want this? And I was like... Okay, I'll take it. So I took it. Now, why I kept it, I don't know. But when I watched whatever Conjuring had the nun appear in it the first time, um, I watched it with my mom, my little brother, and Brandon. And that night, everybody kept 
uh, trying to mess with me because I had this nun snow globe in my room and I was like, well, I want to throw it away. But then I was like, no, it's bad luck. So now I've committed to keeping this nun snow globe for the rest of my life because if I throw it away, I'm scared it's going to be bad luck. So I keep it on my little witch altar in my back bedroom. Uh, it, the water is almost halfway gone out of the snow globe at this point. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm going to be honest, it is haunting, but uh, I'm with you. I cannot throw it away. Cannot throw it away. Maybe I'll post a pic of the nun snow globe. Mm, you should. Let the people know, because <laughs> they need to know. And you know what? Put a poll out. Haunted, yes or no? Yeah, I'd like to know. I don't know, but I can't get rid of her because I'm scared she'll come kill me in the night. Like the nun from the nun. Anyways... Thank you for your story. Hey, you're welcome. Uh, I could, as I was doing research, I was like, I feel like I know this story, but I also don't remember. But I also could have gotten it confused with other demonic cases. Mm-hmm. Hello, I'm Mike. And I'm Zoe. And we're the hosts of Stories of Strangeness, a paranormal podcast that talks about... Aliens. Cryptids. Conspiracy theories. Hauntings. What have we spoken about? What biscuit would you offer a banshee? Are squirrels intelligent? Would you really be distracted by the shadow of a sausage? Some people are. Tune in every other Monday on your favourite podcast player. Alright, are we ready for my story? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm doing my story on uh, the Sinetiker family... Um, you may know them as the people or the story that uh, inspired the haunting uh, in Connecticut. So, here we go. Lots of things happening in Connecticut. My sources. DreadCentral.com, A Haunting in Connecticut, What Really Happened by, jo- by Scott Johnson. AtlasObscura.com, Sinetiker House. Uh, Terror29.com, The True Story of the Haunting in Connecticut by Zach Tenebo. Wikipedia, I use the Ed and Lorraine Warren page and also the Haunting in Connecticut page. And also the two most recent episodes of And That's Why We Drink, M covers the Warrens. So I may, you know, sprinkle in something I heard from those episodes. All right, go on. So in 1986. Okay, okay. So in 1986, Carmen and Al Snedeker moved to a small town called Southington in Connecticut. The reason that they moved was because that they wanted to be closer to a hospital because their oldest son had cancer. Uh, He specifically had Hodgkin's lymphoma. And because the family was facing some financial difficulties, you know, because of all of these medical expenses, they saw uh, what they thought was a perfect home for a good rental price in the area that they wanted, so they jumped at the opportunity. Now, the house was pretty big, and it had enough room for them, their two children, uh, and a cousin that also lived with them. However, during the move, Al made an odd discovery in the basement. There was this weird room in the basement. It had an embalming table in it, a hoisting apparatus for coffins, a gurney, blood drains, and toe tags. Um, And after they did a little digging into this, turns out the house actually used to be a funeral home. Which I'm like, okay, why is this stuff still in here? They were hoarders. Also, like, how are you supposed to get rid of that? Yeah, like, you can't have a yard sale. You can't put Mm -hmm. that on Facebook Market. In 2020, though, what are we, oh, Lord, it's 2021. Uh, You know, with all these true crime obsessions, you might could, you know, toe tags. People could use that for something. I don't know what. (laughs) You want to know, you want to know something crazy. This man came up on my TikTok for you page, and he had actual human bones that he had collected now he does maintain that they were collected ethically that like i don't know like people had maybe like donated their bodies you know when they died but he had freaking spines and he would wear these human bones as a necklace and i was like this is Mm -hmm. just a little too much for me Mm -hmm. if i'm gonna be honest i mean you may have collected them ethically 
But I don't think wearing them as a necklace sticks with that ethical point of view. No, no. But it I would much do it. is giving me it very much gives me some Ed Gein vibes. Oh, yeah. For sure. Um, so, you know, the basement had funeral um items in it. And the bad part was, though, that the basement was like a really large room, but it had been sectioned off to create multiple bedrooms. And those rooms were really the only ones that were large enough to serve as the two boys' bedrooms. So the two boys had to sleep in the uh, funeral home room. I guess the whole thing was funeral home, but they had to sleep in the room where, like, the bodies were embalmed. Um... And not long after the family moved in, they began to experience some pretty strange things. Items would disappear. The children would report to see strange people in the house. And they would also hear voices. And they would hear what sounded like hundreds of birds taking flight. The oldest son, who at the time was undergoing radiation treatment for his cancer, he began to experienced dramatic personality changes and he became very withdrawn and angry uh he began to write poetry that had themes of necrophilia and during one of his really intense episodes he attacked his cousin with the apparent intent to rape her so not good uh, following this incident, though, the family actually had him arrested and he was taken in for a psychiatric evaluation. The evaluation showed that he was suffering from schizophrenia. Uh, he was removed from the home for a while, and while he wasn't in the home, he seemed to start, you know, getting better. But he, when he returned back to the home, the episodes began again. So they thought at this point, you know, maybe the house had something to do with it. And along with these awful personality changes other crazy uh things were going on in the house so the family reported the brutal rape of both carmen and her niece uh now there was also acts of sodomy being performed on al the father and all of these sexual acts were being performed by an unseen entity in the home oh so, a ghost. And I can't remember which was which, but it's either Incubus or Succubus um, is what they're called when they, like, a ghost, you know, sexually assaults you. Um, and I think maybe they're different terms for male or female, which I like. I don't really know why it matters, but there you have it. Also, when the family would mop the floors, the water would turn blood red and the family would smell rotting flesh and decay through the home, which we know the rotting flesh smell equals the demon. So, not good. There was also apparitions of people with long black hair and black eyes, and another that had white hair and white eyes, and they would appear in a pinstripe tuxedo, which just, uh, I was like, mm, that's different. That doesn't really fit with yeah. the rest. You know what? They may come, and they may terrorize your family, but they also gonna look damn good. Yeah, they gonna do it in style. When you got a exorcism at seven, but a wedding at eight. <laughs> so around this point is when the family could not take these activities anymore, and Carmen decided to contact paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren. So the Warrens agreed to help the family. And the Warrens, along with a few other um, investigators, moved into the home for several weeks. They decided they were going to stay in, in the home to investigate until they had experienced everything that the family claimed was happening. Um, and during their time in the home, the Warrens experienced the damage that the, quote, demons were inflicting on the family, including members of the family being slapped, beaten, pushed, and slammed to the floor. And while the Warrens were there, you know, they were doing deeper investigations into kind of the history of the home. And a further investigation revealed that one of the undertakers that used to work in the funeral home uh, was found guilty of necrophilia. So oh. they're thinking maybe he was like haunting because, uh, you know, the son was writing this poetry about like necrophilia. 
Uh, but after experiencing so much in the home, the Warrens thought it was necessary to perform a full exorcism on the property. And so they did. They performed the exorcism. And once it was complete, they considered the house as, quote, cleared. And at that point, everything stopped. So the exorcism worked. Now, this story is pretty crazy, pretty spooky. But there's some serious controversy surrounding the story. Many claim that there was never actually any hauntings going on in the home and that no evil entities were present. The family actually claims, the family that lived there, claims that they had no knowledge that the house was ever a funeral home. And the owner also refuted that the home was a funeral parlor, which like, of course the owner's going to say that they want to rent the house out. So I don't know. I don't know about that. But, I mean, maybe it wasn't a funeral parlor. But if you want to take the route that was haunted, the, I don't think the owner's going to be like, yeah, it's a funeral home. Because I personally would not want to live in a funeral home. Um, and also, apparently, during the time that the family lived in the house, I guess they're, like, it was a large house. So, I guess they had an upstairs neighbor. You know, sometimes the house would be, like, split, like, top and bottom. Uh, so apparently had an upstairs neighbor and the neighbor who lived in the upstairs portion uh, had, they hadn't, they didn't experience anything. They were like, I don't know what you're talking about. Nothing's going on here. <laughs> so that didn't really work in their favor. Um, but one of the most damning pieces of evidence is um, that the Warrens hired a horror novelist named Ray Garten to help write a book about the hauntings. And the book is called In a Dark Place. And first off, it's weird because, like, why do you need a horror author to write this if we're just, like, doing a, what is just, like, a biography of this family's life? Um, you don't need somebody to write it to make it scarier. Which, when I was listening to the end, that's why we drank. They said maybe they hired him because he was a horror writer so they could, he could help them with the nuances to make sure they're getting across the point they're trying to get across. Which does make sense. Mm -hmm. um, but... While he was working with the family, you know, getting their interviews and everything to write the book, uh, he said it was really difficult to write a, quote, true story because no one could keep their stories straight. And the stories not only just differed from each other, they were even contradicting each other. So when Garten went to Ed Warren to tell him, like, what was happening, he was like, hey, the family, like, the story, they ain't keeping it straight. Uh, Garten said this about his little conversation with Warren. Quote, he told me not to worry that the family was, quote, crazy. I was shocked. He said, all the people who come to us are crazy. You think that sane people would come to us? He knew I'd written a lot of horror novels prior to that. So he told me just to make the story up using whatever details I could incorporate into the book and make it scary. So that does not look good. Um, basically... This author is claiming that Ed Warren was just like, I don't care if it's not real, just make it up. Because one of the big controversies surrounding the Warrens is that they were doing all of this stuff and they knew it was fake, but they just wanted money because they were making a lot of money from it. Yes, because I also heard, you know, some controversies about like the Amityville horror, about whether or not there was even actually you know, a possession or a demonic mm -hmm. spirit. Like, we know that there was a murder that occurred in the house, but we don't, you know, the family contradicts some things. And then even with my story from this week, I mean, it really sounds like, in my honest opinion, that the Warrens were like, and it's also interesting because I feel like the family is the one that contacted the Warrens. So, like, if you know that this couple has like some media pool and you know they might be able to help mm -hmm. you spin your story so you maybe don't go to jail true so. that yeah for that one i could definitely see that um but you know even though this story has some pretty significant controversy surrounding it it did not stop the story from becoming wildly popular because in 2002 the case resurfaced when a documentary of the events aired on tv then, in 2009, the story really gained traction because the movie The Haunting in Connecticut was released, which was based on the family's experiences. Um, the film was moderately successful at the box office. It said it grossed about, like, $77 million. 
around or about a little bit more. Sounds like a lot to me. Um, it received, quote, generally unfavorable reviews, which to me doesn't really mean much because I feel like all horror movies get unfavorable reviews. This um, is true. So now while I... Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, I remember when The Haunting in Connecticut came out because now we're, we're going to go... Listen, I'm about to say something, and I want to be... I think the Statue of Limitations on this illegal activity is <laughs> is gone, so I think we're good. So, I wanted to watch The Haunted in Connecticut, and my mom didn't want to take me, because I didn't have my license yet, um, and so my mom was like, no, you know, I ain't gonna take you. So, I remember watching it on... Put Locker, if anyone's familiar with Put Locker, which is a mm-hmm. basically a website where people upload movies for free. And it's always like shitty quality. Like someone's oh, gone yeah. into the movie theater and filmed the movie. So every now and then it might be a little <laughs> shaky. But that uh-huh. is how I watched The Haunted in Connecticut on my desktop computer. And I was, I mean, I've only watched it once. It honestly, I mean, it wasn't amazing. It's a PG-13 movie, so it's like, it could it could have been better had it, they maybe made it R. I don't even know if I've watched it. Like, I've probably watched parts of it, and if I have watched it, I don't remember. But around the time when this came out, I was watching lots of scary movies, because my dad would, like, I didn't watch it when it was out in theater for sure, but, like, my dad used to take me to the movie store, like, every Friday, and we would get a scary movie. Um, so, honestly, I could have watched it during that, but it didn't stick out to me, maybe. Um, what really stuck out to me was, you know, Freddy Krueger, The Grudge. Lord have mercy, The Grudge was haunting my damn nightmares. Um, but, yeah, I've never watched it. I'd like to watch it just to, like, see. Well, the interesting part is, at least in my memory, I don't think the Warrens are portrayed in The Haunting in Connecticut. Like, I don't think that they're referenced yeah. at all. I- honestly think the first movie that references them is the conjuring them is the conjuring which i think that was the whole point of the conjuring really because to me it wasn't Mm -hmm. about the family it was about the warrens and according to the and that's why we drink episode they said that uh lorraine claims that the conjuring was like the most um accurate to what actually happened but that may just be because it portrayed them more i don't know um, but you know, people try to debunk this story, uh, but fans of the film and of the book that was written, cause the book was actually written, um, that that guy was making, um, some people to this day believe that it really happened. And you know, part of it could have happened, part of it could have not happened. I mean, the Warrens made money off of this stuff and they had like a, you know, people are like, well, they even had a museum and I'm like, yeah, but like, you got to make a living at some point. So I guess if they're helping people, I don't know. I don't know. There's controversy. There's controversy out there. But yeah, that was the story of the uh, Snedeker family that inspired the haunting in Connecticut, which I think they say the haunting in Connecticut is based on a true story, but like, you know, some movies will say that and it's like not even true. It's, yeah, sometimes I feel like with based on a true story, it's like, well, like, so like Scream is kind of based on a true story, but it's not. Like, yeah, I think the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they say it's based on a true story, but it's not. Like, it's vaguely referencing, like, Ed Gein, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's about it. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, you could say, like, Silence of the Lambs is based on a true story because it referenced, like, Ed Gein and a couple also, of other I, serial killers. I've never watched uh, The Blair Witch Project because I just don't know if I want to. Um, but I know that when that came out, some people legit thought that it was, like, real, real. Like, they thought some kids went out into the woods. And, like, some people didn't realize it was fake for, like, years after. Yes. I never, I've never actually watched it. But, like, I grew up thinking that it was a real movie. Because the PR for it was so good. They mm-hmm. created, like, a website that told you about, like, the Blair Witch and who it was. And then, like, all of the actors were very, like, they just up-and-coming people and i don't think yeah they weren't well known so people were like these could be real people yeah and i don't even know if any of those actors like if their careers took off enough that like you'd be like it's not like jessica chastain was in it 
Yeah. So. Well. Speaking of Jessica Chastain, I don't know if I know who she is, but I think she is starring in a new movie called, like, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. It's a movie about Tammy Faye Baker. Uh, The one podcast I listen to, they talk about it all the time, and I really want to watch it. Um, Yeah, okay, yeah, because I was like, that name is so familiar, because I've been listening to my Drag Race podcast exclusively for, like, weeks, and, like, that's one of their ads, and I was like, I need to watch that. Anyways. Uh, what's our theme for next week? Uh, I have it right here if you'd like me to tell. I'd love for you to tell me. Our theme is Close Encounters. Um, I feel like I'm gonna keep it vague so we can interpret it how we want to interpret it. Sounds good to me. I like to- I'm not even gonna give any ideas. I'm not even gonna give any ideas because I have no ideas. I don't either. I got no idea about nothing. I don't know shit about shit. I don't know nothing about that. Um, but you can follow us on Instagram at Gonna Sound Weird Pod. You can follow us on Twitter. You can join our Facebook group. You can follow us on TikTok. We just recently offered the opportunity to become a business TikTok account. So now we can put um, a link in our bio, which was a real milestone. Uh, rate and review us I, on Apple Podcasts. I thought it was a big deal. I mm-hmm. did too. I didn't know. I don't know how they knew. Because my personal account ain't never been offered that option. Yours just ain't getting the, the sort of traction, I guess, that our podcast is. I wonder if they is. can tell because, like, we post from, like, different locations from the same, like, account. This is true. This is true. When we first started posting on TikTok, TikTok thought that we were being hacked and actually locked us out of our account for a minute. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, hey. Like, and I was oh. like, no, I'm just trying to... Just trying to put my link tree in the bio. They were like, you can't do it. We're going to shut you down. And I was like, ah. <laughs> yeah. uh, ah. How am I supposed to influence the youth? Anyways, is that all? That is it. So I guess we will see you all next week, hopefully. Um, mm-hmm. Stay weird. And goodbye. Goodbye.